0: Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 32. A little longer portion of scripture, but one that, one that um, will help you to be able to get the whole message. So Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 32. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression... Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Again, there are some phrases within this passage that we just read that we have covered in previous weeks, and I'm not going through that in detail, but if there's any question, let's bring that up in the sermon discussion. We'll deal with some of these verses in a little bit more detail then too, and if there are any other you know, questions at all, just make sure to bring them up at all in any kind of context that we have. But th- last week, as we considered the example of Elijah, I said that we must be careful not to become isolated from others. As children of God, we must be careful to not become isolated from the body of Christ generally and the local church specifically. We have to be connected to the local church. We have to be connected to the body of Christ. When we are isolated, when we are distant from God and His people, or even when we are zealous for God but think that we are the only ones standing for God, when we are isolated in those ways, we may become fearful, we may miss the purpose of God, and we may rely on our own works rather than appropriating the grace of God. This week we're seeing that Paul is continuing to emphasize this need, our need, to be rightly connected. And in this case, he's using this analogy of the olive tree to emphasize our need to be rightly connected to the life-giving root that is established through the children of Israel. So again, this whole notion of being connected. And once again, Paul begins this passage in verse 11 with a familiar question. Did they, that is the Israelites, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And as he has done before, he answers the question himself with the firm assertion that Israel has not been rejected. Not at all, that's what he's saying. And this is familiar. We've read these kinds of questions and answers before. And then Paul makes this statement. He says, because of their transgression, what transgression? Their rejection of the Messiah, salvation has come to the Gentiles. How? The bearers of the good news, the bearers of the gospel message that Jesus about Jesus, went to the Gentiles when they were rejected by the Jewish people. So their transgression brought salvation to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Why? So that Israel, the children of Israel, may now desire what they rejected, what they missed. In his uh, commentary on Romans 11, John Stott writes this, he says, Not all envy is tainted with selfishness because it is not always either a grudging discontent or a sinful covetousness. At base, envy is the desire to have for oneself something possessed by another. And whether envy is good or evil depends on the nature of the something desired and on whether one has any right to its possession. If that something is in itself evil... Or if it belongs to somebody else and we have no right to it, then the envy is sinful. But if the something desired is in itself good, a blessing from God, which he means for all his people to enjoy, then to covet it and to envy those who have it is not at all unworthy. This kind of desire is right in itself and to arouse it can be a realistic motive in ministry so what's he saying this use of the phrase envy don't be you know sort of turned off by that or misunderstand that he's saying that by doing what we do in Christ Jesus by living in that way if that arouses envy or desire in the Jewish people that is to that is according to the will of God god is making them Jealous That they would say, oh, this thing that we gave up, we rejected, look at how it is benefiting these folks. Look at how it has come alive for them. Look at the life that they're living. I want that. And so that's what John Stott is also reminding reminding us of. So the children of Israel need to know their Savior. The children of Israel, through whom all of these promises had come, need to know the very Messiah that was promised for them. And as the mercy and kindness of God are extended to the wild olive branches, the, the wild branches that were growing wantonly, just without being cultivated and being you know, nurtured, they were just growing wild because they were following false gods, or they were you know, just living for themselves, or they were rebelling towards God. And now here it is that God has grafted in those wild branches, And when that happens, the children of Israel can't help but see the salvation of the Lord through Jesus, through Yeshua, their long-promised Messiah. Gentile believers are to live a life so close to Yahweh, to God, through Yeshua, that the Jewish people would envy, would desire to know Yeshua for themselves. Right? But, Keep this in mind, and this is something that we've talked about in the past few weeks, even as we've talked about how faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God, and then there's a call, and that we are sent, and we preach the gospel. Keep in mind that the Jewish people, the natural branches that were broken off, can come to know Jesus through Gentile believers, and then be regrafted, reunited, restored, back into the olive tree, only if Gentile believers go and preach the gospel to them. So we share the gospel with Jewish, with Jewish people. We share the gospel with every person. But it is only as they hear the gospel, it's only as they understand this truth of the Messiah, that they can then be restored, that they can be then regrafted into the olive tree. So that means there cannot be even a trace of anti-Semitism in Gentile believers. That means there cannot be even a hint of replacement theology, the mistaken notion that the church has replaced Israel and that God has abandoned his covenants with the children of Israel. There cannot be anything but gratitude and love for the Jewish people when we share Jesus with them. This is not an indictment. Oh, you rejected the Messiah. No, this is to say, let me share with you the very Messiah that you have missed. Where your eyes have been blinded, where things have happened, where the church and Christianity has in many ways caused you to miss the Messiah, let me share with love this Messiah, this Savior. And so we do that. So who is saved from among the children of Israel? Because we read, when we read this passage, there's that phrase in verse 26 that says all Israel will be saved. How should we understand that phrase? Does it mean that all Jewish people, even those who don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, will be saved? Well, the answer to that should also be very clear because Paul has made it very clear through these 11 chapters that salvation is only through Jesus. It doesn't come because you're born as a Jewish person or it doesn't come because you're born in a Christian family it doesn't come because of who your ancestors were and what lineage you can speak of and what you can claim or boast of none of that. Salvation comes only through Jesus. Salvation is only through belief in the heart and confession of the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and so we understand this phrase all Israel in light of God's foreknowledge in light of his grace, in light of his justice, and Romans chapter 9, verse 27, we read this a few weeks ago, Romans chapter 9, verse 27, where Paul quotes Isaiah and says, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And as Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8 makes clear, not all Abraham's descendants are his children of promise. And even then, even also in addition to that, those who were not his descendants were adopted in, were grafted in as his children. So we see this dynamic at play here in terms of how the Lord brings us together. So understand that phrase, all Israel will be saved in light of these truths, in light of these scriptures, right? It's not taken out of context, it's taken in the context of the whole teaching that is there. So this analogy of branches being grafted in, and I have not done this personally, but some of you here have. You've you've done graphs, you you know what this you know looks like or how it works, and how you can take a a little sapling and graft it into a tree and how it starts to grow and and that starts to revive the whole tree and then it bears fruit and so on. But this analogy of branches being grafted into the olive tree is very meaningful, very powerful and you know creates this image and, and in, especially in that culture, uh, today we're a little bit more removed from working with trees and doing all of these things. But in that culture, it would have been very relevant. They would have immediately understood this imagery. And as Paul is writing this, they would have said, "Ah, oh, okay, we see this, we understand this. And the Bible has these images throughout. But as with any analogy we read, we've got to read it in a straightforward manner. We cannot read into the text more than what is there. And so we don't try to speculate, you know, what exactly do the leaves do, what's the nutrient, and how does this work, you know, what exactly is the grafting process, how long does it take. We're not trying to do more with that kind of analogy. We're simply reading the text for where it states something very straightforward to us. And in the very clear, straightforward way that the passage is given to us, here are some of the truths that are quite clear. One. When we are grafted into this olive tree, we must stay humble. We are never to boast of who we are in Christ Jesus. We're never to say, oh, look at me. I'm something special. And we're never to say of anybody else, including the Jewish people, look at them. They missed it. They don't know Jesus. We have something they don't. Never. And any person that we would encounter from whatever background they may be if they don't know Jesus as Messiah, if they don't know Jesus as Lord, then it is our responsibility with grace and mercy and kindness and love to reach out to them to share with them about Jesus but never to boast of what we know and what they don't never to think of ourselves, and this is what Paul says in this passage, never to think of ourselves as superior I know, I know something No. This should be a revelation. This should be a realization. This should be a reality of God that causes us to be humble before God. To say, Lord God, there was nothing in me that deserved this. But you saw it fit to save me, to redeem me, to call me your own. Oh God, I am so grateful. I am so grateful. And I want to share with my brother, with my sister, or with somebody who does not know you yet. I want to share with them What you have done for me, and so we stay humble. We never consider ourselves superior to the natural branches. Secondly, we want to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. There is clearly in all of these scriptures, and as we go through the rest of Romans, and then as you read through the Bible, you know you see God's special covenant and His special consideration of the children of Israel. He's not done with them yet. He's not saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm done. right?" So we pray for them. We pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Now, we are praying for the salvation of all peoples, of all people groups, especially of those that would be connected into our lives. We pray for them. But we pray, even as these words are coming to us and we're reminded of them in Romans, even as we consider Paul's unceasing anguish, for his own people, for the children of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Now, you know, I'm not talking about political things. I'm not talking about the modern state of Israel and everything that they do and all those those things in that regard. I'm speaking about who the Lord would call his own or who the Lord has said, these are the children, these are the descendants of Abraham that are special to me because of the covenant relationship, that we would say, oh Lord God, I pray for them to be saved. I pray for all these people to be saved, just as we call out for the people of the world to be saved. So, we pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Third, we learn more about the tree. And one of the most um, wonderful times that I had when I first started to grow in the Lord, um, when I was, you know, I, I went, I, I did a, a course at Gordon Conwell Seminary in in Boston. Uh, it was just like a part time thing, and you could do it at night and so on, which was all about the Minor Prophets, and then more importantly, about the Jewish roots of Christianity. It was taught by uh, a professor who had written a book in that regard, Our Father Abraham, and went through it. And it was just wonderful to me to, to read that, to understand that. The Old Testament came alive in a very different way, and it started to connect with all these statements, all these phrases in the New Testament, and say, wow, you know, this is the reason why some of these things are here. You know, we, we sometimes miss that when we miss those Jewish roots of Christianity, when we miss the root from which we have come or which, into which we have been grafted in. So learn more about the tree. Go through the Old Testament in detail. Look at the promises made to Abraham and his descendants. Look at what God did when he established these covenants and understand that this story of the Bible that is laid out for us that we have been now included into that. And so that's beautiful. That's wonderful. So learn more about this olive tree from Genesis to Revelation and and, and in terms of what the Lord is doing in the world today. Next, when we are joined to the olive tree, we want to cause people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, we want to cause people to take notice of the Messiah. That means that if we are correctly connected to the olive tree, we will start to grow and flourish and bear fruit, giving testimony and making clear that there is life, there is that life source, there is that nourishment that is coming from this connection, from this tree. And it will cause people to take notice of the tree that we have been grafted into. It's not, notice, it's not to have people take notice of us. It's not for them to say, oh, what a great person. What a a kind person. What a gentleman. What a, you know, what a lady. What What a wonderful person. But rather that they would say, what a great God. What a great savior. What a great source of life. What a great tree that you are connected to, that you as a branch would bear this kind of fruit. Nobody looks at, a, at an apple growing on a tree and says, well, if I just cut off that branch and have that branch lying here separately, that's what is good. That branch dies. There is no further opportunity for that, tr- that branch to bear fruit. It is only as it is connected to the tree that there is meaning to it. And so we want to be people who are rightly connected and continue to flourish in that relationship with the Lord so that it would cause people, every person, to take notice of the Messiah. That's the question for us. You know, is our faith capable of making someone else desire it? Do we live in such a way that somebody would say, Wow, I, I, I want what you have. I want what you have. Do outsiders, do, or just anyone who is looking from the outside, do they see your relationship with God, the God of the Bible? And do they see your relationship and your hope in the Savior lived out in such a way that they say, Oh, I want this kind of joy. I want this kind of hope. I want this kind of restoration. I assure you the world around you is looking for that. They're trying to find it in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different places, in all sorts of different people. It is our responsibility. It is our call that we would live in such a way that people would say, I want what you what you have. And I want to know Jesus. And finally, when we are joined to the olive tree, when we are rightly connected to the olive tree, the whole purpose of this grafting is so that we would produce good fruit. When we were wild, we were not producing good fruit. The Bible says that we were producing fruit to sin. We were, we were having the fruit of the sin, the wages of our sin, the result of our sin. But when we are grafted in, when we are joined to the Lord, when we are united with Him, the purpose is that we would bear good fruit we would glorify God by bearing good fruit the good fruit of the Holy Spirit so these are just some and as you meditate on these scriptures and as you go and learn more about grafting and olive trees and all that I'm sure you will find even more truths that show us how we have to stay connected in here. But even as we learn about this, even as we learn about the olive tree and about wild and cultivated branches <clears throat> and the children of Israel being the first fruits. So the children of Israel are the first fruits of Jewish and Gentile believers coming together, being brought together in Christ. Right? That's how the Bible is speaking about it. This passage is saying this. And we learn all of these things, but in the middle of all of this, the Bible tells us of another, very important branch Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8 says I will bring forth my servant the branch Zechariah 6 verse 12 says behold the man whose name is the branch and Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 says this a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse Jesse was the father of King David A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, on this branch. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. foretold that Jesus would come as a branch, as the first fruits of a glorious new covenant out of the very same roots of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the children of Israel. The prophets of old foretold that Jesus would come. There would be an advent, a coming, of the Messiah who would judge with righteousness. Jesus, the branch, would bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus, who came into this world as that branch and offspring of David, he said this of himself in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Oh, what a glorious statement. What a glorious truth. What a wonderful reminder. Because this morning, As we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard, we respond by saying, Lord God, I want to be rightly connected to the olive tree. It is appropriate at Christmas that we are reminded of Jesus, who was fully God, born in a manger as the seed of the woman to become fully man. It is also appropriate at Christmas, that we are reminded that Jesus is the branch in whom we must remain so that we may bear abundant fruit. We must be rightly connected to the body of Christ, to the household of faith, to the church. We have to be rightly connected to Christ, and when we are rightly connected to Christ and His His church, It is because we are rightly connected to our Jewish roots when we are rightly connected to the olive tree. So this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time just to pray and to turn our attention to the Lord and to worship him and say, Lord God, I thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you have done for me and how you have blessed me and how you have caused me to be joined with you. But as we do that, I want you to just take some minutes here to pray. We've come to an end of a year. And we are about to celebrate the birth of Jesus. The world acknowledges the birth of Jesus. They may not believe it. They may not know what the details are. They may not understand the reason for the season. But we are so filled with joy to say, Lord God, I thank you that you came. I thank you that you came into this world. You were incarnated. You came as a man. You came so that you would give us life. And you died so that, Lord, we could be now resurrected to new life in you. But I thank you, Lord, that you came as the branch. You came as the one who was promised, who was prophesied. You came as the one who would bear fruit. And we are now joined with you to bear fruit ourselves. What a joy that is. What a privilege that is. And so as we worship the Lord, I want to encourage you this morning that you just go to the Lord in prayer. Prepare. Look back on all this year has brought us and prepare for celebrating in Him by saying, Lord God, I want to be rightly connected with You. I want to be rightly connected with Christ. I want to be rightly connected to the church. I want to be rightly connected to the olive tree. I want to worship You. Let's pray. Let's worship. Hallelujah.